Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we ask the question, why would you want to become an authority? It, it cracks me up that we're 90 episodes in and we're asking this now. <laughs> yeah, it feels like I, there are a few topics. Every once in a while we do a show and it's like, wait, we've talked, haven't we talked? I'm pretty sure we've talked about it. Didn't we do this already? And then we look back and it's like, not really. Yeah. One of those things that's just been taken for granted or maybe touched on, but not... Uh, not like a dedicated episode. So today we're going to rectify that. Yes. Yes. See what we've learned over 90 episodes, right? <laughs> right. Hopefully, dear listener, you can forgive us. It seems so obvious to me that you would want to be an authority or one would want to be an authority, but maybe not, I suppose. It depends on what kind of a career arc you're on. Maybe you're happy where you are and there's no need to push it to the next level. Off the top of my head, there are three main reasons why I that come to mind why it seems attractive to me, I guess. It seems like reasons that I would you know, go down that route. And I think you have a list too. I have five. So I want to know what your three are. Maybe they cross over. Yeah. We could almost do a top 10. Number 10. <laughs> well, I, I bet there's some crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm a pricing guy. So the first one I put is more money. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that comes in a lot of, I suppose, a number of different ways. Um, one is just that you can command higher fees. You're the obvious recognized expert for a particular thing. Uh, your opinion is trusted. You're, the way that an authority is in the market is automatically going to seem like a luxury purchase. It's already going to seem expensive. The expectation is going to be that way. It would be kind of ridiculous if you weren't commanding really premium fees at that level. But there's more to it than that because you get different kinds of opportunities. For example, you can get speaking gigs landing in your lap like crazy probably you probably have too many requests to appear on shows or to speak at conferences or at internal events it's right in the name you've probably written a book you're probably an author almost i would almost say that's a requirement and so you're probably selling a bunch of info products like books and courses and all of these other things you probably have um, your thought leadership will be very clearly defined because you've had to boil it down into something like a book that takes a lot of uh, attention organization and sort of puts your ideas through the fire and you come out on the other side with workshops and all of these other things that that you could potentially do instead of what I would call you know the next tier down for me is like a consultant doing more client work so an authority is probably doing less client work and can make more money is more uh, their ideas are more leveraged and their their expertise is packaged up in a way that just at the end of the day results in more money was that on your list anywhere yeah, <laughs> I had a third, but yeah, but I think that ties into one I have that's a little bit of a floater, which is, is the freedom to build a business model that suits your particular genius. We're alluding to that towards the end. So you don't have to consult to clients for money. You can do courses, you can write books, you can do speaking. I mean, you have more options to create something that's exactly suited to the way you like to work and your own genius. Yeah, that's a good one. My number two is that you're going to have a shorter sales cycle. So you're not going to be chasing people as much. They're going to be coming to you. You've got what Alan Weiss calls market gravity where, where people are just coming to you and they're on, they're probably readers of your books. Usually the question when you're the go-to person and you really are well-known, you're kind of famous for a particular thing. Clients, when they come to you, it's like, it's not a question of whether or not they want to hire you. It's a question of like, can we afford you and do you have time? So it's the, the power dynamic is flipped the other way. 
and it makes it, the sales cycles are really short. And I, I say this from experience because I went through a phase, and this is interesting, I went through a phase where I was definitely an authority on mobile web development because I had a book that was the book and people just like show up every day. Like Can we get you to do, you know, it was really cool. Foolishly at the time, I didn't recognize that it had a shelf life. So I rested on my laurels and technology changed and so on and so forth. So it wasn't a permanent thing. That's also interesting. Um, but that definitely was, you know, for a couple of years, it was like that. I had so many opportunities. It was, I could pick and choose. So very short sales cycle. When someone comes through the door, they're just like, how much is it going to cost? We need you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's simplified selling. The process is so much easier. And of course it's faster, but people just pull the trigger. I love that. Yep. Related to this, I think also when I think back on it, you are approached by people who are way farther up the food chain than when you're, say, a freelancer or, or like a, a fledgling consultant. You're getting like founders, CEOs, global marketing directors, like people way at the top of the food chain are the ones that are contacting you. So you don't have to deal with gatekeepers and it all goes into that shorter sales cycle thing. But yeah, they're ready to go and they have a budget. You know, it's more fun. Too. And really, most of us didn't get into this business to sell. And what we like about the selling process is that we're solving a problem. I mean, we're designing a way to solve a problem for the client. And that's fun. Not all the other stuff you have to do to get there necessarily. So it wipes out a lot of the stuff that I think of as not as much fun. Okay, what was your second one? Well, actually, my second one was that was simplified selling faster. My first one, I know I'm curious to see if this is your third one. My first one, and this was just as I was thinking about it, is um, it's the power to influence that you can sway opinions, you can command attention to your point of view. It's not an absolute power, but you have an influence power and you know you can use it for good. <laughs> My number three is more effective. People do what you say. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we're definitely on the same <laughs> there. Yeah, you get yeah. a lot less, lot less second guessing. Like we, we, we spent a fortune to get the guy who wrote the book or the gal who wrote the book, and here they are. So do what they tell you. I don't mean it to come across like um, obnoxious or anything, but anybody that's been on the flip side of this, where you know you're an expert at what you're doing, and the client is second guessing everything and making you prove. It's like, look, I know this is true because I've been doing it for 15 years. I can't walk you through the whole 15 year process of like. And then show you all the things that I've learned the hard way and convince you. I mean, I can I can try and convince you, but you, you really don't have to deal with that. When you're authority, the client's basically putting you on stage everywhere. So whatever the meeting is, whatever the talk is, whatever, you're on stage and it's just like, okay, everybody, like this is this person is anointed. Whatever they say is correct, and I want you to do it and go. Well, and an example of that is if you look at inside your space, there's probably somebody who's got a big footprint and it probably really bugs you, right? Because they don't agree with your worldview. And every time you see them, you go, oh, I can't believe people are listening to so-and-so. I mean, that's a great example. It's that's the power to influence and to build your tribe of people who believe in your big idea. They may not agree with every one of your pronouncements, but they respect you, they listen to you, and you have influence. Right. The situation I was describing was like inside of a, a client engagement as an authority, but there's also the, the more effective at 
broadening your impact, which feels more like what you're talking about. So spreading the idea and changing hearts and minds to the big idea or the mission that you're on or the purpose that you're doing it, you're just going to have a bigger impact, whether it's inside an organization on a consulting engagement or a one-off sort of advisory thing, or if it's in public on whatever, a live stream or TV show sounds so old, but you know, something like that where people are actually taking action based on the, whatever you're espousing and making change for the better. Especially if you're not used to having that kind of power, it's refreshing. It gives you an opportunity to influence and, you know, you have to use it for good. Obviously, that's what we're talking about. But it puts you in a different light as you deal with people in the outside world, whether it's dealing with a Twitter troll or being on the main stage of the big event for your industry or your specialty. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, especially with the history it being in like a rock band and that nobody cared about. And it was like, you know, you just push and push and push and push and try and get people to care or listen or show up to a gig. And it's just like, it just never, it, it would never happen. It was, it was very, very, you know, very much like pushing a rock uphill. And this is the opposite. When people are receptive to your ideas, it's, it's kind of like a virtuous cycle where, and I know this on my mailing list, like I send out these ideas and I'm not going to call myself an authority. I, you know, I have a book on this stuff, but I feel that kind of vibe where you have like fans. That's not really the right word, but since I'm using the music metaphor, it's like, it's like fans. And when you have like fans, they'll keep you honest still. They'll tell you when you hit a double and not a home run. You do get this feedback so you can tell when you are hitting home runs and you can tell, you know, and they're doing work for you. Like they're spreading the word to their friends because it's like this is this idea is really important. Like you really need to, you know, read this or listen to this or, or sign up for this. It's like the rock rolling downhill. It's like, wow. It's kind of like a, the feeling of being on a team where stuff's happening that you didn't have to do everything. You get people that are, you know, doing this or that or the other. Um, and, and like you're making progress as a group, but you're not organizing it. It's just kind of happening and you could call it like word of mouth, but it's, it's a little bit more, more like evangelism. It's weird. The feeling though is of effortless forward motion. Especially if you've been a consultant and I would think this is probably true for a lot of developers too, is that you're used to working one-on-one or one with the team and you are the person serving them, right? And you influence them directly, but it's a very different exercise than all of a sudden you're saying things publicly. You're putting your opinions out there. You're leading with your point of view. You'll take some slings and arrows too. It's just a different feeling. And sometimes it's not natural, a natural feeling to go from serving, especially if you're in kind of that freelancer category where, you know, you're trading time for money and you do things and you, you know, pass it off at the end of the day to then take a step that's much more public and own a set of opinions and then see what happens with that is, is a different animal. And I think it's really exciting. It's that that ability to influence and to share your viewpoint and then see what other people do with it. And we've talked about thought leadership before and the difference between an expert and a thought leader. One's an expert and one's a leader. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's like right in the name. Yeah. And being a leader is very risky. It's very scary. And the I suppose goes hand in hand. The reason why it's risky and scary is because you have to put the, the ideas, your ideas out in public. 
you're not just going to a client and like executing this like genius maneuver and then through word of mouth, not publicly, but through sort of back channel word of mouth to other clients, you have like this, you know, you could potentially have a very successful business doing something where you literally don't blog, you don't share anything online, you're just getting referred to other clients because you do great work for clients. And to me, that's like an expert. Maybe they are, maybe they're a consultant or advisor or whatever, but they're an expert, but not a thought leader because they're not putting their thoughts out there. And I think we should probably have a whole show on how to become an authority, but, but the, I think we should. (laughs) What a great idea. I'm going to predict that thought leadership is part of it and you have to be putting the ideas out in public. So like authorities, I'm trying to think of an example of an authority that's not a thought leader and they probably, probably exists, but I can't think of one. Well, here's what I see as the demarcation line to me. And we have to remember, I grew up in consulting. So we call people thought leaders all the time. We would have practice leaders. I was a practice leader, for example. Um, and then we had thought leaders. And the thought leaders were the guys who were a little bit more academic. And I said guys, and in those days, they were mostly guys. And they would dream up new things that the rest of us hadn't thought about yet. And their, their stuff was all about influencing the other people within the practice to kind of take us to the next level. So when I think of it out in the world versus inside of a firm, to me, that thought leadership is about other people that are doing your craft. So like a thought leader in pricing, right? You're dealing with other people who think about pricing versus clients who use it. And as I'm saying that, I just realized it's, I don't think that's the right demarcation. An authority to me has an imperative to teach other people, right? And, and to keep thinking about what's the next thing in their area of expertise, and I would also argue that an authority then has to share, right? I mean, you were referring to that earlier. I think we agree on this. You've got to have part of being an authority is engaging other people and sharing what you learn. I think I'm thinking of a client of mine who's a, a, an absolutely an authority on this one thing. And his viewpoint is if somebody wants to learn he is all over that. He'll send the material, like he'll deal with reporters. I mean, he can deliver the equivalent of a master's degree in his subject area to, to a reporter doing something really detailed. But if somebody is lazy, <laughs> doesn't want to read the stuff, or they don't, his expertise is a little bit controversial in certain circles. So there are people who will say, I don't believe that. I believe the opposite of that. And so he just will have nothing to do with them at all, just like cuts them out. And I, I always think of a thought leader as someone who wants to have that discussion, not with, not with trolls, but with people legitimately asking and having a differing viewpoint. I think a thought leader would, would take those people on in a positive way. I would agree with that, yeah. Take the word thought off there. That's what a good leader would do. To me, that's that's the picture is like someone who's willing to listen to the the dissenting voice and again, not a troll, but someone who's willing to have a conversation and, you know, is genuinely engaged and you come to a solution or you, you someone's mind changes or you agree to disagree. And it's, you know, but something you, it's not just like, okay, you're out of here, you know, my way of the highway. Yeah. My way of the highway to me is not a leader 
I mean, at a certain point, I suppose it comes to that, but that's, that needs to be rare. Yeah. You could be an expert and be that way. I think if, if you've got sort of the right niche for yourself, cause not everybody can make money that way, but if you're in a firm and there's enough people who are doing the selling, then you could be doing deep research and, and just certain kinds of consulting. Mm-hmm. It's a hazy, it's not like there's like specific lines between these things, but we should, we should save that for another episode um, yes. <laughs> about what the, what the path might look like. I mean, the benefits we've looked at so far, enormous. Is there anything else on your list that we didn't? I, I had one, because I one more, I had five and, and we crossed over on the others. It's that you can energize or well, engage, energize people to further the mission and, I, you know, I guess you could argue that's tied back to influence, but you can build a tribe. And I think for some people, building the tribe is more exciting than anything else because it's the sharing of ideas. It's the collaboration. It's it's where you take it. You know, it's almost like a ladder. You know, the more people you engage, you keep climbing up that ladder because you're learning from other people who care about the same thing, whatever that thing is that you do. So I like, I like the idea of that. Yeah. I mean, in a sense it could, you could create something that lives on after you, you know, like think of, um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Zig Ziglar comes to mind, you know, or like Dale Carnegie or, Mm -hmm. you know, this, these books that just. Even Napoleon Hill, I think he's been dead for 60 years, something like that. And people still (laughs) read his books. I bought one of his books a year ago. Yeah. I don't, is Drucker alive? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think, he, yeah, I think so. Uh, War, Warren <laughs> Bennis, Warren Bennis passed away, but a lot of his leadership stuff, I think will, will live on for a long time. There's something about that tribe that can kind of, and it also relates to that word of mouth and that sort of effortless forward motion that I was talking about before. It's almost like it takes on a life of its own. Like an idea can take on a life of its own and like, what would Seth Godin say? You know, the idea virus, you know, it's put into the world and it just goes off and has a life of its own. I, I, that's uh, maybe even the longer term. Maybe that's maybe there's a level above authority like legend or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets to a point where the person the person is not the important part. Yes. It gets to a idea. point where the, the idea is the important part. Yeah. With an expert that's not true. With an expert the person is the important part cuz Yeah, cuz you can't you can't do it without the person. Yeah, it doesn't exist, right? Well, I think the other thing too is that it's easy because we're, we're all so used to the word viral. It's easy to think about, oh, yeah, my idea can go viral like that cat video I saw last week. But there's, a, there's an, another way to think about it, which is momentum. And, you know, I've been at this in varying points of my career. I have clients at varying points of momentum. And sometimes you're just hot, right? Whatever you're talking about is hot and within your niche. I mean, I'm not talking about necessarily across the planet, but, and then all of a sudden you start to see the shift in your business, a little bit like what you described when you were an expert in mobile technology. Yeah. So you see that and all of a sudden people are coming to you, they want you to speak. And all of a sudden price isn't an object, by the way, and, or, or clients are coming to you. And all of a sudden, your referrals step up. And you're like, what? Say what? What happened with this? It isn't necessarily attributed to any one thing. It's all of the things together. You know, maybe you do a podcast and it takes you 50 episodes to really get into it and get the hang of it. And then all of a sudden, people that are listening are coming to you to buy your stuff or hire you. There is, I don't want to call it a tipping point because I'm not sure it's 
necessarily like that because there's more than one, right? Over the course of a career and over the course of following, you know, your interest in this subject matter. But it, there's a thing that happens. I've seen it so many times. I felt it myself so many times, and it's a wonderful thing. Right. Yeah, it's that. It's like when you're getting the rock to the top of the hill and you're about to go down the other side. You're like, woohoo! <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, you can feel it. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely feel it. Yeah. I mean, the phone starts. It's obvious. The phone starts ringing. Your inbox starts filling up. You're like, what? Well, I, I mean, I can't even come close to responding to all of these. Yeah, yeah, and I've also seen it happen when somebody has a, a tribe of some sort and then they just tweak something. And it might not be a big idea. It might just be that they tweak how they approach it. And all of a sudden, different people engage with them. And then they come out of the woodwork. And before you know it, you have a, you know, a sub-practice of consulting to those people or developing training for those people, you know, whatever your, your, your area of expertise is. So it, it, it happens in weird ways. And so I do, we just hate for people to use the word viral as the measuring stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, I don't mean viral videos. I mean, it's the, it's the similar concept where people are sharing it on your behalf, but it's not, but it's something that's lasting. It's not something that's just a, you know, like, oh, the cat video, that, that was cool or whatever. The kid bit his thumb, whatever. It's, you know, it's something meaningful. Not just entertainment. I thought that cat video was pretty meaningful myself, but. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to get into cats. Yes, no, no, we won't go there. (laughs) We've got five things that we in total agreement on of, of why you would want to become an authority. So dear listener, if those things sound appealing to you, then it might be a path that you would want to go down. But mm, Rochelle, what does that path look like? Well, you know, we were talking about this before the show, and and I mean, you could put different labels on it, but I kind of think of it as is, and you don't necessarily move through it this way. But there's a freelancer stage, there's an expert stage, Jonathan. I think you like to call the expert stage the consultant stage, the consultant phase, yeah, and then authority. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing inherently good or bad about any of those; they're just different. And um, yeah, I think we should talk about sort of the the journey, right, from going to freelancer to authority or expert to authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's do that next week. Awesome. How's that for a teaser, dear listener? <laughs> I love when we can do a teaser. <laughs> yeah, it's when we think ahead. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority. Bye. Bye-bye.